Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt With Deep podcast. I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host, Carter, and a super special guest, Sam Seaton from Infinite Outdoors. What's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. I was Right before we started, I was telling you that my first business idea uh, ever was kind of what you're doing, something pretty similar, and I'm glad somebody did it because I couldn't afford it. So I'm looking forward to this one, kind of hearing the origin story, how you went about it and, you know, did it and executed in a way that I was uh, unwilling to do. So this, this one will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of funny you say that. Cause uh, I think a big part of our success is, is been the fact that we actually didn't come at it from the mindset of, uh, you know, like an Airbnb of hunting for, uh, of, for hunting and fishing that that connection was drawn like a full year almost after the fact like we started doing it because there's so much more like biology behind the scenes and and the whole interaction of all of it that uh uh it was actually like a year after someone's like hey it's like airbnb of hunting like yeah kind of if at the at the very highest level if you ignore all the actual hard parts around the business <laughs> <laughs> yeah so why don't, why don't you just give us a you know the the elevator pitch on exactly what infinite outdoors is and what you guys have going on over there yeah so you know i just got done saying that it's not exactly like that at a high level it is <laughs> similar to um, just at least conceptualize it it'd be like airbnb for hunting and fishing properties so instead of you know going into a house or whatever you're you're physically entering into short term daily couple day whatever that time frame is leases directly with the uh with that landowner so you get so you can get onto the get onto our app search for what you want to hunt or fish for. And there's all these different ranchers from uh, across the country. I think we're almost at a million acres of total private land right now. And you can just pick and choose what you want to do and book it right from the app directly from them for your exclusive access uh, for the, for the day. Um, plus we have a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm sure we'll touch on later, like our um, advanced map, digital mapping and all that other stuff that we just did as additional member benefits. You you mentioned this before we press record here, Sam, but the largest barrier to going down this rabbit hole, I have got to imagine, was the cost incorporated with with constructing and building an app, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of upfront cost. Um, we were luckily able to hedge against some of that for so some background on on myself as well as a few of our, our co-founders is we grew up on ranches and we actually met at Colorado School of Mines, which people aren't aware it's it's up there's one of the best, if not the best in a lot of fields for for engineering that there is. So that's where we all all came from and just happened to be that weird combination of people that grew up on ranches, understood that private land ownership were outdoorsmen ourselves, but then also were nerdy enough to like do coding and app development and uh, <laughs> things like that. So it's kind of like the, the perfect storm. Like I'm not saying that it that it didn't cost us any money or we're not continuing to just shovel more money than I care to admit it things, but it, it definitely helps when your uh, when your founders are um, a bunch of engineers that can carry a lot of that that load that you would have otherwise had to dish out hundreds and thousands, if not millions of dollars to. See, that's what I was missing. My fucking history degree didn't set me up for success there. I needed to go to engineering and I could have I could have had this idea two years ago or two years before you guys. Man. 
I struggle with Google Drive, man. I'm not helping you out at all, Luke. I'm the wrong team member. <laughs> oh, dude, we just migrated to Microsoft Teams, and you thought we're doing this shit in Braille. Like, none of oh, our yeah. guys can even get their account set up. Yeah, it's, we're real technologically uh, not advanced here to hunt and lift eat, so. Well, now that you have Teams, I suggest scrapping that and getting Slack. It's way easier to use, but. <laughs> That's exactly don't, what we need to do. Don't put me through another migration. <laughs> another pivot. <laughs> Sam, how did you realize that there was a need for this? Or did you even not come at it from that angle? Like, what was kind of the origin? Yeah, it? no, it, it it all kind of started by by accident to a degree. I was, uh, um, so originally, Infinite Outdoors, like the original with that name, was actually just a online uh, fly fishing retail store that I started in college to help pay for my bills and stuff. Because... Um, uh, you know, need a little extra money. And I was always taught if you, if you need something, earn it or make it yourself. Um, so we, uh, so that's what original if and outdoors was. And I kept that name and migrated it to this, but then the actual concept and, and how our app and business model works was starting a very manual way. Um, I was, uh, always did a lot of hunting in Eastern Colorado during college and had a lot of friends that were, that were from out there that were farmers and ranchers. And a lot of them, had, you know, they had got kind of screwed over by some different clubs and outfitters that had these exclusive leases and things like that. And, and, uh, they wouldn't pay them or they wouldn't pay them what it's worth, or they would get mad if they, uh, wanted to go hunt it themselves. So I kind of took over managing some of that forum and was just running a, a pheasant club really for, wasn't making any money, was just doing it to, I'm like, yeah, just keep let, keep letting me hunt. And, um, any money these people pay for this club is just going to go back to you and just did that. But they kept referring their buddies. Oh, yes, Sam's taking care of us. He's doing it right. And they just kept going. I went from, you know, a few thousand acres to tens of thousands of acres. And then by that time I graduated, I was in uh, upper management and at Anheuser-Busch and I'm like taking phone calls and people are like, Hey, where can I go hunt here? I'm like making these stupid car passes that we used to print out for this hunt club. And I was like, this is not sustainable but there's clearly something here with, with these, these short-term hunting needs of people, as well as being able to take care of the landowners, like, like no one's done before. So that's when I was like, well, shit, something's here. If I'm going to do it, let's do it right. And that's when I called in some of my buddies that are a heck of a lot smarter than me. I understood the business side of it, but they, they're better at the, uh, the development or actual computer engineers and stuff. And, and that's when we're like, let's just, let's just make what I'm already doing into a, uh, uh, into a mobile app and open it up to the, the whole country. So you own the tech itself that like you built the app. Yeah. Yeah. We built, built everything in house and, um, which again is huge. We had contemplated not doing that at the start, but, uh, seeing how fast everything moves, even our website, we're migrating over to an entirely new deal this summer. We've already completely rebuilt our app a couple times before just to get it into better environments. And as technology progresses, so, had we paid someone else from the start, it would have just already been obsolete or we'd be spending, you know, a million dollars a year just to keep up with the growing tech and security demands. That's yeah, awesome. I can see how, how having that to your name now would be unbelievably beneficial. One less thing to worry about. Yeah, that helps helps a ton. But again, we're, we're just lucky to have a really good group around us and well worked hard, but it's kind of fallen into place perfectly. And I think it's because we're going about it from that 
you know, the right, the right mission, never any intentions to, uh, you know, to make a living and hell, I didn't even, I didn't even draw a dime from the company until a couple months ago, worked full time for free on top of having a corporate job for, for three years. Yeah, I can uh, empathize with that. I still have yet to take a dollar out of this company. <laughs> yeah, still, still in the army. So, how many? Uh, so, what's your all's growth? I mean, I I found you guys a couple years ago, and I've just kind of been looking, you know, watching you guys go and grow, which has been really cool. Like the new logo you guys just rolled out is super sick. You know, it still is yeah. recognizable from the original one, but like that one is it's it's definitely an upgrade. You know, mm-hmm. so like you know this growth, like what's that looked like for you guys? Yeah, it's it's been uh it's been pretty good. It's been it's been exponential growth year over year. Um, you know, getting uh getting hundreds and hundreds of new new users um, every month and uh, and our properties because we actually only launched the public with a really not even recognizable version of our technology compared to how good it is now in in August of 2020. So basically, two and a half years went from. Uh, you know, 20 or 30,000 acres to a million acres and thousands of users and continuing that exponential growth. So it's been, uh, it's been really good. Very, very hard to, uh, very hard to keep up with, but that's a, that's a good problem to have. So when I was looking at this, one of the problems that I identified would be trying, like, how do you convince and, you know, really message to an older rancher who probably isn't that tech savvy already probably has scar tissue, like you mentioned before, of folks coming in, not taking care of the property, leaving gates open, you know, all the issues that we see. Um, how do you message that? And is it knocking on doors? Are you like, how are you getting to these folks to get to them, to bring them in and get them on the app? Because obviously the hunter demand is easy. That's that's no mm-hmm. problem. It's the acreage is, is what I identified as probably the problem. But is that something you've run into as well? Or, or how have you tackled that problem? Yeah. Well, um, well, now it's really easy because they just they just reach out to us and it's actually turning away a lot of landowners that don't necessarily meet our quality standards. Um, but early on, it was just selling them on on who we are as a team and the business model as to why it would make them more money and and they wanted to maintain that that control. Um, so it, essentially, we you know we just cut out the middleman of that of that leaseholder. Now it's the actual hunter doing short term leases with them. There's not a there's not a club. There's not a uh, not an outfit or someone in there. So, in turn, that means that we can be more strict with what our biologists tell them can or can't be hunted. So, their property gets hunted less. There's less people on there. They control their they control their land, and now they're making more money than they ever did. So it's it's uh, so we just sold them on that idea. It really helped too. And you're like, when you just happen to be several school of mines ranchers and engineers, like like ah, screw it, we'll we'll try it, um, and. And the other thing that's really, really hit home with the landowners is while they still have control of their calendar and all this, it can still be set up to be 100% hands-off for them. So a lot of them still want it to be as hands-off as as when they had it leased out to a, to a big hunting club, and it can just be on autopilot. The only difference is now they can open up one tab and block off a day if they don't want someone hunting their backyard on Thanksgiving or they have their relatives coming in and want to do that. Um, so it's just just been a big education thing and and we knew enough and enough word of mouth went through that now it's just kind of um you know now now the word's just spreading 
Yeah, that's awesome. Can you explain the the biologist piece of that? That was that was pretty interesting. Uh, that got piqued my interest there. Yeah, that you guys have biologists actually like looking at these properties and and you know managing them to an extent. Yeah. Um. So that's that's always been something we're 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 huge about because there's there's no future for our sport if it's not done properly. Um. So from from the get go, we, we didn't want it. That's that's why the landowners can't. Again, th- this is where you start seeing the, the reasons why it's not like Airbnb. They can't just do whatever they want. They can't set whatever price. They can't have it open every single day. They have to meet with our biologists to make sure that we're doing the correct things from a conservation level. So they have to come in for a consultation, see what their land is like, and then we and then we determine what that actual market value is for the property as it stands, what that max amount. Um, so if it's like deer hunting, it might be a you know, 7,000 acre property in Eastern Colorado. And our buyers might say you can shoot two bucks and four does off of this, uh, off of this property per year. They can still hunt it. It comes out of their quota. Um, and, and so that's, that was the direction that, that we just took it. We, we put the max that they can do it and they can control everything underneath of it. Um, and that also gets more buy-in from the landowner because now by us not letting them just, blindly dictate the price because everybody thinks they have the best property on the planet and that's just not the reality (laughs) like here's what it's actually worth if you you know if you plant if you plant some cover crop in the corners or whatever for pheasants or you or you don't uh you know you you stripper head your wheat and you don't cut it short so pheasants can get through whatever if it's an upland property then we'll be able to fetch this price next year because the population is going to increase and, and whatnot. So, so that's been a pivotal part and every landowner is required to have that consultation with, uh, with one of our representatives or, or biologists before they could ever list it. I could see how that would be a huge weapon in your arsenal because like, I was curious about your pitch to like these landowners and it's awesome now that you have so many that word has spread and now you can, you're, you know, turning folks away, which is a good problem to have. But like, how would you convince that landowner to go with, you know, like Luke said, if it's that old crusty rancher that, you know, Luke grew up on a cattle farm and I worked cattle farms in college and you grew up on a ranch. Like if I was trying to convince, you know, Skipper Golston, who taught me everything I know about cows to be involved with this app and let people come hunt his property, he'd say, what the hell are you even talking about? Get out of here. But yeah. the biologist gives you a huge edge. And I think like a seriousness that landowners want to see because they know folks are going to come in here and y'all are going to, you know, treat it with, you know, you're going to be good stewards of, of their property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and on top of that too, is again, another reason why it's not like Airbnb is there, there's actually a membership application. If you ever want to book a property that vets through a bunch of questions. So you literally can't even book a property if you answered wrong on any of these dozen or so questions. Like if you've ever had a, if you've ever had a felony or a wildlife game violation. So just a whole nother deal. So you get, so you hit them with the, the conservation aspect, the, uh, uh, and then the vetted people. And plus if anyone ever violates it, it's all digital. And so we can find the hunter and give the landowner damages too. So it's, uh, it's kind of protected from every direction. So as long as you can get that audience with them, they eventually run out of things to say no to. The other thing I really like about what you're doing, Sam, is I appreciate Infinite's honesty about what you guys are doing, like talking about quotas and like you and I are friends or not friends, but we're on a lot of the same hunting forums on Facebook. 
which is like the only thing I use Facebook for. Is yeah. some of those <laughs> but I saw you post recently on there. Someone was like, uh, whatever, the classic, thinking about coming out hunting eastern, eastern Wyoming. How's the deer population look around, you know, the town that you live in? And you were like, it's garbage. <laughs> Just yeah. straight up. You're like, it's not good right now. And I really appreciated that because you could have been like, you know, someone who was trying to sell something could be like, oh, it's amazing. Come check out our, you know, product and come hunt out here. But like, it's not a money grab. And you, you guys care immensely about, you know, quality hunting experiences. And you're not just sticking folks in the gar hole, as we would call it down yeah. here, right? <laughs> you know, you're not just going after the, the cash grab there, um, but actually looking out for, you know, the entire big picture. Right. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that and, and noticing it. Cause that's, I mean, I still have to sleep at night and I do this cause I'm passionate about it. Um, using the, using the petroleum engineering degree and corporate job is if I actually cared about money, that would be the direction I'd be going. Um, and it's just about doing the, doing the right thing. Um, that's why, I mean, that's why we donate. I mean, we, we've donated more money than we have made in profit um, to different conservation groups and stuff too. Cause if you're, I mean, doing the right thing is that that's what's, that's, what's most important. Same reason why I'm sure you guys probably haven't drawn from your own company too. If you're not doing it right and you're not, and you're not taking the right steps and building karma, you don't deserve to make any money. That no one wants that sleazy car salesman. They want to do what's do what's right for every, every party involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really what we've built our foundation on is authenticity and being honest and upfront about everything. And, you know, it resonates with people. And I think that if you do business that way, like it comes back tenfold, you know, I think people want to work with folks that are, you know, transparent and honest and, you know, it just, it pays itself back. I and mean, that's not why we do it, but I mean, it, it just does, you know, and I think, you know, that's, that's really what it's just about for me is hanging out with good people, meeting good people, and then, getting to hunt and be out in the outdoors. So that's, that's why I do this. Cause it's definitely not making me any fucking money. Yeah. I did have one question. Are you guys selling? So, you know, on these large tracks in the, the like Colorado has the LPP, the landowner preference program and Wyoming has similar deals. So are you able to buy landowner tags through, infinite is it a marketplace for that or is it only just hey you got to go get your tag and then you're paying your trespass fee through the app itself yeah so how we work that is in colorado being a state that has transferable landowner vouchers uh wyoming does not so that's that's oh, not okay. a, even an option um they, they have them just for family members um but uh in in colorado um what we have the landowners do is it's just a it's a set it's a set price for for that area for that trespass fee um we still we still show them how and get them to apply for landowner vouchers and that's included in the price if they draw but but the but we try not to just because the problem with with landowner vouchers is they they i mean because they existed before technology like ours even existed so technically with landowner vouchers it gives you access for the entirety of that season on the whole section of that person's ranch if you read the fine print um which is not good from conservation if, if someone has twenty thousand acres we want to divide those into five thousand acre and then sub manage those or else everyone's gonna go to the one spot and just blow it out so so we don't actually 
we have them if if for some reason we can't sell through all the hunts and they're always included and we just you know basically ask that the person's honest because they legally could go outside that section and hunt something else that that person owns um but but so that's why we we just include them for for free or the landowner includes it for free no extra cost but we encourage people to learn how to do the the draw and, and go that route just since that that's more favorable for properly managing um land um but then also to, to touch on kind of the last topic wyoming does not have transferable vouchers and that's something that that we've we've been directly asked by the game and fish here too like is that something we should implement from your background in colorado does that make sense um and if we're just looking for a money grab, we would say, hell yeah, make sure every landowner that has 160 acres has these because then these units that take 10 years to draw, we could just be giving someone a voucher and selling the crap out of it. But, you know, again, we try to take the the right perspective. We're like, like we don't we don't actually like like we're going to include them and in, in use them in Colorado where it makes where it makes sense. But we're not looking for loopholes for things that are irresponsible management, at least from the perspective of our biologists. So how have you gone about sourcing your biologists? Because when I think about, you know, you guys growing this, I'm assuming it's in the works. You want to get in every state and grow this nationwide and, and blow it up. To me, it looks like a big constraint would be vetting and having good biologists as you grow and that are localized in spots where they can do it. Or is that part of the job is like you're just flying all over the country checking properties? Yeah, it, it kind of depends on on what the uh, what the property is. So sometimes... I would say the majority of the time we still have a boots on the ground in person um, biologist, but we have them placed in different areas. So a, a few are full time, some are contract. So they just come on to do that initial consultation, and then they do and then they do digital consulting with our with our full time biologist. Um, but then it also just depends largely on on the uh, on the game because you can, you can do a whole bunch remote as well because you can say take all these these pictures in this area set up a game camera we're going to monitor this for a while and we're going to see what this looks like and show us your your crop and production um uh from previous years and things like that so you can get a lot without being there in person um but then the bigger ones we we're always doing those in-person visits um or we'll wait till there's a bunch of you know 20 or 30 landowners in a certain area that we that really that really want to come on and then we'll have send one biologist out to do a loop. Are you at a point, Sam, where you, are you still going and visiting all of these new locations or do you have people for that now? Um, no. So I, I have people for it. Um, yeah. I guess I should have mentioned this. Point, did you do all of it? What's that? At one point, were you like doing all of it? I, I imagine you were just scrambling, going to check out all these yeah, there, there there's a time when there when there was a yeah just a ton. I mean, I, I think I want three straight years of never working less than ninety hours in a week. Um, so it was a <laughs> uh, it was a grind there for a while. But we're we're finally at the spot now where where I can focus on business strategy and growth and, and have more qualified people to 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 do do all those uh, those other aspects. Now we do have a super cub for the plane, so we do a lot of aerial stuff now. Um, that oh, helps a lot yeah. when you can just fly over and just take pictures from the air and you can, that's a lot more, that's a lot more, uh, uh, you know, better use of time when you can fly it than driving all over the country. Luke, I want a super cub. You better <laughs> sell some more t-shirts, dude. 
I I was thinking about this. I, I just automatically think about it from a big game point of view, Sam. But that's you're so much more diverse than that already. Just looking uh, at your app already, like you know, waterfowl, geese, and ducks, and pheasant, and all all sorts of different facets. You would have to get pretty good at understanding how all of those animals function on a habitat and, you know, the crops to look for and like different practices for the landowner to, to know. And like, what was that like wrapping your head around? I mean, you kind of had to become an expert on like all, all of these different game species, right? Yeah, no, it, it's a, uh, that was a big reason why we, when we were first starting and honing in our technology, we really, really focused on Colorado. Um, a large part of that was because I knew a ton about it from, from hunting forever and, and, you know, shooting, I don't know, I probably shoot at least five to 10 big game animals a year for between different States and like really figuring out how those are. So that was a big reason we did it. But, but since we've grown and expanded, um, I mean, it's definitely a struggle and it's a test in humility. Cause you know, like I have to admit that I don't know shit about whitetail hunting, but <laughs> our biologist is really, really good. And he's managed a, you know, like his family farm and, in uh in kansas his entire life so for him it's just like a no-brainer so it's like perfect you own that sphere and then we have you know another guy that's a uh, got his masteries in, in in fisheries and 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 understands you know the uh the the cold water the trout and then another guy that's better with with warm water and waterfowl so it's it's uh it's it's we're improving every day which is nice but yeah definitely started out with being heavy on you know, leveraging my unhealthy addiction to the outdoors for yeah. the, <laughs> the first part of my life. <laughs> can you, um, can you run listeners through some of the, you know, I guess species or like, you know, what, what you guys offer from the different locations that you have on your apps? I know I listed a couple. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we currently have, 211 different ranches um are what are we having an update our website with these numbers recently because we're going so quick so we have like 211 different ranches about a million acres and we have everything from we have waterfowl quail pheasants um hogs uh whitetail mule deer elk uh bighorn sheep um kind of a kind of everything We, we don't have any like any doll sheep or anything yet or or uh, or exotics but uh <laughs> but pretty much everything that's on someone's normal hit list that um and that's also kind of who we're catering to we're, we're not catering to the, the people that can necessarily go out and afford a twenty thousand dollar guided hunt every year it's supposed to make private access affordable for the average working man i'm just down a rabbit hole right now i haven't been on the app since this version of it came out and this thing is awesome. <laughs> this is not good. My wife's going to be pissed. <laughs> I'm just going to be dropping money. <laughs> in, in Colorado, our, our biggest segments actually become uh, waterfowl. That's been, been extremely popular because it's um, well, because one pretty much everybody else that's that hunts waterfowl seriously has to pay for a yearly a yearly club um, or a lease and those because public is, I mean, you guys, you guys know how many people there are in Colorado. It's, it's an absolute madhouse. If you get there at 10 PM the night before and set up your spread, you're still be elbow to elbow with 
a hundred of your closest friends at sunrise. Um, but, and then for your average person, they, they can't pay 1500 to $3,000 for, for a, uh, for waterfowl club. Cause they have a family and a job and you know, they might, they can't just blow off their family and hunt Saturday and Sunday and two days during the week to make that make sense. But, um, but yeah, so waterfowl in Colorado, especially has been very, very popular because people can follow the migration, pick the hunts. They know everything's managed a lot better. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's been a, been really interesting to see that because I never would have expected that to, to be, I, I honestly thought it was going to be a lot more fishing and a lot more upland, hence our first version of our logo. And those are probably our, our two slowest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes a ton of sense because those, you know, trespass fees or, you know, clubs out, out, uh, West can get crazy expensive, like way outside of my budget. And if I can budget, like I'm a school teacher, if I can budget for one Western trip a year, right. <clears throat> you want to maximize your chances. Like Luke and I have hunted. We love a, a small, a very small town that starts with a K Northeast of you or Northwest of you. And that's a tough region to hunt with, uh, for deer and antelope and, you know, there's pressure. been times, yeah, a lot of pressure. And there's been actually every time on day two or three where I'm like, dude, I would give someone 300 bucks right now to go hunt that guy's ranch. But the only option we've ever had is like, you know, $3,000 for like, whatever, two weeks of hunting or something, you know, just, it doesn't make sense financially if you're just going to be out there for five days or six days. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing makes so much sense to it. it I love, you know, hunting public land, super cool, but like, you know, what else is really cool is killing animals. So right. that, can, that can give you, if that can give you an edge, man. Well, especially if you're coming from out of state where you're already like, cause now I have to buy a, we still have a family ranch in, in, in the middle of Colorado and it's, so I have to pay as a wine resident, I have to pay out of state now. And it's like $700 now. Um, and so like doing the math and, you know, the, the success rates on our, on our land in general is, you know, you know, three to five times better than public in, in most cases. So when you start doing that math real quick, like if you have to come back three or four more times to have success on your, on your elk hunt, you're paying $700 a pop. I'm like, you should have just, just, just ponied up a little bit, help out a, help out a struggling rancher and then fill your freezer and, and get your money back right there anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I would have paid ten thousand dollars on my last Wyoming trip. For some, I was got so sick of watching every nice mule deer and every nice antelope. Just not even nice any antelope. I only saw one antelope on public the whole time where I was hunting. I was no. in a terrible unit, but it was late in the season, so it was just blown out. What area were you hunting roughly? Uh, for antelope, it was what twenty two, right, Carter? Yeah, north of Casey. Yeah, and everything. It's all those real small parcels of BLM yep. ground, and it's just it was blown out. There's carcasses, you know. So something, you know, somebody was lucky, but yeah, it was it was frustrating. Yeah, that's always just like a war zone on day one because everybody knows there's gonna be a million people, and they all like have the one picked out, and ten cars are showing up, taking <laughs> taking just <laughs> just chip shots at them. <laughs> oh yeah, that was my first Western hunt. I guess it was my second because I got my ass kicked in archery elk in Colorado, but. I was out. I just grabbed the leftover antelope doe tag in eastern Colorado, just east of Colorado Springs, the unit that I actually live in, and went out to this 
piece of public. I was I no idea what to expect. And I got there what I thought was early. And there was already 15 cars in the dang uh, trailhead. And there's only one spot to park. And I start just like beat feeting out. And there's people on the other side of the unit, like already. And I'm like, what is going on? And this thing's, I'm going to say 35,000 acres. I walked 27 miles that day. It was, it was unbelievable. And it was just like, I'm like just ridge tops. There's antelope running everywhere because they're getting blown out. And dudes are just like slinging shots at them. I was like, this is insanity. <laughs> Absolute insanity. I called my wife and I was like, I'm leaving. I'm done. Like, this is not my idea for hunting at all. And I start walking out and I meet two guys and they're like, this, then we start talking and they're like, this is insane. And they had a antelope buck tag and a doe just happened to run by. I dropped her. So it ended up, you know, <laughs> she still got it. <laughs> yeah, I still got it. And it was, it was good, but it was just, it was such a wild experience. And I was like, man, this is not it. Like I love yeah. hunting and I do love the idea of public land, but you know, in East Colorado, I mean, they're opening a lot of it up with the state trust land now, but there's still so much that you can't access mm-hmm. and the demand way, way overshadows what the, the resource is. And so it's just Colorado needs to fix what they're doing. It's crazy in Wyoming, but Wyoming at least has a little bit better of a system, I think, because with yeah. their... Well, what helps Wyoming is it's the same size state as Colorado, and it only has 500,000 people. So you can. Yeah. it's kind of hard to mess it up too bad when, <laughs> when you have, what, less people in the entire state than you have in Colorado Springs there? Yeah. But <laughs> that's what I keep telling my wife is why we're going to Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> I very much yeah. do not want to want to stay here. Like I love the state. I mean, you grew up here. It's beautiful and I love, you know, but it's just god, it just seems like by the day these giant neighborhoods are just going up. It's like the it's actually sad. Like you drive by and there's antelope grazing in between all this construction equipment. You're like, "Man, yeah. this is just I mean, they've got plenty oh. of habitat towards the east, but it just it still sucks." Oh, it really, really is. I, th- I think my, my family is, I think, sixth, sixth generation. Like, we, I had relatives that literally were on the Hayden survey that surveyed the borders of Colorado and have stayed here since. And I'm just finally, like, this is, this is not the place I grew up in. This isn't what we, uh, isn't what we wanted. But, uh, sad. Hopefully, hopefully they figured it out. But for the meantime, we'll do what we can to try to manage it on private and save the state from itself till it can figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, there is a huge need, you know, just cause there's so much land and you're like, what are your options? You just drive up randomly and you're going to cold call this ranger who probably doesn't want to talk to you, <laughs> you know, like you got to build that relationship. And even if you're willing to, to, to pay for it, it's just an awkward interaction. And so having yeah. the marketplace already established is massive. Well, and that's a, I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause it's, even that's not what it used to be. Cause ranchers used to be used to it was easy knock on the door maybe give them a six pack to let you on but after after they've had you know their 14th subaru of the day show up like they're greeting you with a shotgun not a uh not a how can i help you <laughs> and and uh again i think that that's been a big part of our success is being able to talk to people from the perspective of landowners like i literally live on a ranch now i grew up on a ranch this was built for you. Like I'm not, I'm not some Silicon Valley, uh, uh, entrepreneur here. Like, like this is, I did, I did this to list my own ranch and then it, and then shit got out of hand. Like let's, <laughs> let's, let's something happen. <laughs> yeah. You can talk the same language. Yeah. So I get it. Cause we've been out there and we've seen some freaking yahoos. I seem to be from the Midwest every time, but 
Wisconsin yeah. specifically. Wisconsin, <laughs> it's, Wisconsin, like, guys. it's always Wisconsin. I love all my Wisconsin boys, but like, yeah, yeah there, there's some guys right. giving y'all a bad rap. Get liquored up, like shooting out of windows at Antelope, like Oof. shooting out of the trucks, and like, I I understand why landowners would be wary of allowing hunters to yeah. come and hunt that property. So, like, how do you? And this may be a challenge that you've dealt with, Sam, but like, how do you? ensure that hunters are you know respectful of those properties yeah so so a few different ways one when you when you book a property it automatically downloads an offline map of every inch of that property and every access point that you're allowed to go on it shows your gps location so that helps with any trespassing or going where you shouldn't be with at least with the vehicle um Ranchers also have their list of, of rules and regulations that, that they go up and, and, and that's email that showed in the app after you book a property and all of that um, of exactly how they want everything done. Um, but honestly, the, the simplest and biggest reason why we've had virtually zero issues is everything's digital. So if somebody breaks any of these ranchers' rules, we can just find them on, on their card and pay the, pay the, the, the landowner. So just knowing that they consented to that being a possibility, they're going to follow the rules. And then the landowner's like, cool, they're going to follow the rules. And if they don't, I don't care because I've already established a monetary compensation that's equivalent to, uh, to, to those damages. So they're on the hook financially. So their, their behavior will be appropriate. Yep. Have you guys implemented a rating system? So the rancher can rate the guests or the hunter and then the, hunter can rate the ranch because that's like something that mm-hmm. all this the what am i trying to say the, the sharing shit like airbnb uber this kind of got kind of crazy is how much people care about the rating and it creates this self-policing outside of just the the monetary people go and they'll go above and beyond they clean the airbnb you know that sort of stuff so that mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's wild but yeah so so we uh so yes and no, we do have a rating. Um, we're contemplating changing this again to see if, if people, if the culture of people has changed at all, but we don't currently have that public facing it's reflected in the price it versus how good it is and how good the ratings have been. But we started out with having, um, so every time you hunt, you're going to get prompted to rate it. It has a whole bunch of stuff. We review that in all of our weekly meetings, address what the landowners get all that fixed and, and vice versa. Um, but we found out really quickly when they were public that when a hunter finds a good spot that he really likes, he is going to sandbag the living shit out of that property. So oh, yeah. So we get these guys like terrible hunting, no antelope anywhere. And we just <laughs> talked to the guy on the phone and they shot like two of them opening morning with muzzleloaders. Yeah. And then yeah. they book it for the next year. I'm like, you sons of bitches. You can't, yeah. you can't just sit there and <laughs> throw ones on this and ruin this guy's property and then just book it the next year. So we, uh, so we brought it more in house for uh, for quality control, um, and then, that actually makes a lot of sense. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and, and we didn't we didn't either. We had to we had to react and make that make that pivot because we're like we're like damn it guys like. But I mean it make, it makes sense. It's just it's just like when you find a really good public spot. Like I've had so many of those over the years where I tell one guy I'm like hey don't tell anybody. You know if if I even told anybody at all and and now today it's totally ruined because that guy told this guy that told this guy that told this guy so. Yep. People are people are weird about how they try to protect their spots because now I don't tell anybody. And honestly, if I was using my app, if I was just some random person, I would be very tempted to, you know, not share that that spot's awesome so that it's easier for me to book it. 
I think that yeah, I would probably just not leave the review. I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think I would sabotage the old the old boy though. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of funny, shitty, but also funny. The other thing is like I could definitely see folks going out, not being not filling their tag, not being successful. No fault. There was gain. They made mistakes, but then they're all pissed off and then leave a bad mm-hmm. review. Yeah, and and that is a challenge with with uh with do it yourself stuff is. There, there is a, there is a big disconnect. If someone has never hunted elk before, I can put them in the middle of the rut at the most primo elk place ever. But if they've never blown a call and they don't know how to work the wind, and, and this is their first time ever hunting big game, they're probably not going to get something. Like they're going to have a good learning experience, but that's just they're they're wild animals and they're really smart. And it's and it and it is do it yourself. So it's something we try to be really open with too. Like. It's managed for as good as that area and that property possibly could be. After that, it's it it's up to you. And you know, we, we've had people in Eastern Colorado like go out there and like, there's no like get a call from like a text guy like, there's no feeder out here. And where the hell's the water at? And like, I'm like, dude, it's Eastern Colorado. You have fourteen thousand acres. Go find them. He's like, we drove all day yesterday. Every deer we saw it ran away. I'm like, no shit. Let's walk. Like, you can do this. Um, so it's a it's a it's a struggle sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I had this written down, but I would imagine you get some clients who, and I imagine outfitters run into this too, right? They feel like they're paying for, right? Oh, I paid money. Like, I I should be able to shoot an antelope, but you guys cannot guarantee an animal, right? And that's like not yeah. what you're, that's not what you're selling. Like, it's still hunting, right? You still have to get out there and you still have to bust tail, private or not. Like, I've been sh- shoot. Luke and I grew up hunting private. Uh, here on the East Coast for whitetail, and it is not a not a guaranteed thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we can do everything we can to increase your odds, but yeah, at a certain point, it's switches over to the hunter. I mean, a, a good a good description I'd tell people is what the the average archery success rate in in Colorado and and over the counter units like what like seven to ten percent or something, um, something pretty abysmal. And it's like I think it's worse than that now. Like, is, it, is it worse than that now? Maybe yeah. that's the overall, including rifle and everything. I think archery was like four percent. Like it was real low. Oh shit! And yeah, for OTC, but I could be I could be mistaken there. Yeah. I remember looking at it and thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to fool with this. <laughs> right. Well, so then I mean, if that's what it is, four percent. Let's just use that for an example. If it's uh, if one of our properties is managed. 10 times better. You have 10 times the odds, which is, which is huge. If you took a 10 X on anything, like that's pretty awesome, but you're still at 40%, you know, like statistically speaking, the odds still might be against you, but you've, you've sure hedged your bets pretty well. What would you say is like infinite's biggest challenge right now? Um, I would say it's still our biggest challenge is still just the education campaign because we're so we're so unique in, in what we do and, and, and as you guys have probably even realized as as we've talked more about how intricate it is and, and how actually dissimilar it is to like a, a straight up Airbnb type thing is it's very hard to teach somebody that. You can't just you can't just have a, a quick little Facebook ad that explains that or or, or something else. So it's it's just been almost too revolutionary that, you know, educating enough of the public. Um, Cause once they figure it out, they, they love it and they stick with us forever, but it's, it's not easy being the first of anything. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. 
has anybody i've seen some smaller uh like local run through websites and stuff not not very well done have you guys seen any you know effective copycatting not that you don't have to name them by name or anything don't want to give yeah. them a free press but like have you, have you started to see that um so outdoor life magazine actually did an article last summer and they referenced another uh another company that that tried to do the Airbnb of hunting and fishing and, and failed. Um, I think there's, there's a couple other people that have, that have tried to do, um, something that are currently trying on a smaller scale. But again, I, nothing that's really worth a darn. I think they're just there until they run out of their investors money because they're, they're, their hearts in the wrong place. They're coming at it thinking they're going to make a ton of money. Um, not trying to do something to help, the, uh, the industry, um, that, and they all signed up for us first and didn't read the terms of service that said it's illegal to reverse engineer anything. So if they get too close to our business model, they're in trouble anyways. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just saying. <laughs> I can't find the actual, I hope they mix. listen to this and just poop their pants a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> some of the units like the units that you think would be good for elk are sub four percent for harvest i had to look this up to see if i'm wrong so that's probably what i looked at some of them are zero actually zero percent eastern units but um yeah it's there's a couple that are decently high 33 percent, but i'd say it's probably around 10 percent uh, yeah. if you had to a- a- aggregate it all so like it's well, not I know, high i know even like where where my family ranch is it's unit 49 in colorado i think it's for archery it's 20 some percent success at least last i checked and as a non-resident if you're trying to draw like a first rifle tag it's going to take you 15 years to draw that tag to go out there for a uh you know i I think that rifle tag's a little higher i think archery takes 13 years but still less than the third chance of killing something after waiting 13 years and the type of people i would this is always something that that people don't think about the the type of people that have had enough foresight to be saving points for all these years too they're usually not your first time hunters either. So, so you get into these units that are a 30% success rate. And these are people that have been Western hunting for 15 years, probably on over the counter honing their skills for all this time, but kind of, kind of a little, little sobering and realize why you have to put in that work in the off season to, to, to truly be able to make it, make it happen. That's actually a perfect segue. We're trying to start a new little thing where we ask our, uh, all of our guests a couple kind of standard questions, one of which is going to be, uh, you know, what do you do to prepare physically in the off season to prep for your hunts? Like what, you know, what's your training regimen look like, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's evolved over time as I, as I get older and older. Um, back in the day, I actually played a, I went to Colorado school of mines on a football scholarship. So just doing college athletics was a pretty good way to be ready for, uh, for the, uh, uh, you know, for, for the season. But as I get older and, you know, don't have youth on my side, I'm like, I'm like, holy crap, I can't like, what do you mean? I can't just show up and go for a 19 day wilderness hunt. Um, <laughs> so, so now, uh, I, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at doing like jogging and all that stuff, which, which I would probably recommend. That'd be a really good way to, you know, put a little weight on there, do some endurance. I'm still too wired in the old, college athletics way. Like I do like interval training and, and, uh, you know, do a bunch of, do a bunch of sprints. Um, 
I don't want to say CrossFit because I honestly don't really know what that means still. I've, I'm sure I've done a ton of that stuff through like the formal type deal, like flipping tires, doing all that. Like I, I do that just, but it's more from a redneck living on a ranch. Like what do I have to throw around and get in shape kind of thing? Um, so I'd say that that's, that's probably half in the second half is just getting out there and being active. I try to go and do a lot of, a lot of high mountain lakes. Uh, if you're in an area that doesn't have high mountain lakes, obviously that doesn't work, but like go out and do similar things that you would, that you would do when you get in the field, you know, go, go hike the woods and looking for, looking for antlers. Even if you don't, just cause it's a good excuse to go put on 15 miles or, uh, uh, you know, I, I like, I mean, any excuse to, you know, go looking for arrowheads or something like that. Just, just be active and, and carry a bigger pack over prepare on, on stuff in the off season that you wouldn't need to. So that it's not a shock when you get into that, that actual real world situation. If you're, if you're not able to, to hit that gym hard every single day. Yeah, it's great. It's one of those things. It's, it's great. It's in the off season is a great time to test your gear, your new gear. If you're new to hunting, take that shit out. We've talked about that in the past. It's just like, make sure you use it until you get on the mountain for the first time. And you realize like, Oh, maybe this isn't the right size or this isn't the, you know, this, I went cheap here and I shouldn't have, you know, just test right. it, see what you like, see what you don't. You can't put a price on comfort. <laughs> I've, I've learned that after 10 years in the army and then doing a lot of hunting, I will pay them extra money, carry the extra half ounce to be fucking comfortable. That, that is a very, very good point. Cause, cause I growing up, I, I did not, have quality i had like the cheapest stuff at walmart like i just every time i went out it was literally a survival situation because that's just like we'd, we'd climb 14ers and bring one bottle of water between me and my dad and brother and we'd be like drinking out of streams halfway up like trying to survive and i just like thought that was normal and then like i actually got a job and realized i could just spend a little bit of money and it was like a game changer to have a good backpack and a good light shelter and shoes that didn't cost $27 and uh, (laughs) like buy buy it once and buy it right. Yeah. Aaron Snyder talks about like the different phases. Like you've got the poverty phase where you're just like out there in fucking Carhartt and blue jeans and you know, whatever Walmart you've got. And then it's, then you got a little money and then you're just in like the Gyarado phase where you're just buying all the gear you don't even need. And then you get a little older and then it's like, okay, now I know what I need, what I don't, you get, get dialed in and just, it's an experience thing. It comes right. with time and it's, you got to have time on the mountain, time in the woods, time in the, you know, it's the same thing, even whitetail hunting, like in the tree stand, like knowing how you want your setup. And then there's a, especially with like tree saddles. Now there's a thousand different ways to configure your gear and it, you're always tweaking and tinkering. So mm-hmm. it's important. Yeah, absolutely. But that being said, I, I think it's also important that people realize that you don't have to have that gear. Like I had, killed a dozen elk before I had even heard the name Kafaru, you know, and uh, like still just strapping on the Walmart mossy oak and you can still get it done. It comfort helps a lot, but if you're putting off doing, doing a Western hunt because you're like, I need to get this gear and this gear and this gear. It's like, you don't, it's going to help, but you're probably not going to have success those first few times. Anyways, just get out there, you know, maybe don't start out with a, 14 day backcountry hunt if you don't have any gear, but uh, just ease yourself into it and learn what you really need. Expectation management is so huge, anyways. I mean, when I talk to folks and they're like, oh, I'm coming out for 10 days, I'm like, you should probably plan a zero day in the middle of that. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, no, like five day off, 
come down, get some, get a shower, get a hot meal, like mm-hmm. go back up another five. Like it's probably more doable. Cause if you just try to, if you just think you're going to do five, like you might even quit at three, like, you know, right. <laughs> guys do that. Like five and five is probably good. 10 days is a long time to be in a shitty situation and guys that like don't have a background in it. Don't really, I think understand until they, cause it, they just, it just seems great. You know, you're watching a t- 20 minute meat eater episode. And you're like, man, that was awesome. Like there's right. a whole lot, of, whole lot of shit in the middle of that. That is not that much fun ultimately. Yeah. So expectation. Yeah, they, they management. That. Yeah. <laughs> if they actually, neat. if they actually did it proportionate to the amount of suffering and not fun parts of it, I think those meat eater shows, they'd be, they'd be nine hours long and they would give you like a quick, like half a second, kill shot and then they shut off like ah we just had to keep the the ratio correct (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just like you know being in the military like they don't ever you know make movies about what 99.9 percent of your life is it's just i guess they did actually with that one with jake gyllenhaal where he's just like sitting around doing nothing for the entire movie (laughs) that was the most realistic war film ever (laughs) hunting's kind of the same way it is just a lot of blown stalks, a lot of animals. You can just watching their asses run through the bush. You're like fuck. Right. <laughs> Although I, I do think that's what makes hunting and fishing and the outdoors so enjoyable is because there is so much suffering. Because like I kind of you know, the philosophy, you can only be you can only be uh, as happy as as your delta is from your negative baseline. So when you're in, in there and you're and you're suffering in that in that cold and that storm and you just blew your 14th stock in, on a, on an elk. And when it finally comes together though, cause you've, it's been so low, that's what makes it so rewarding. If it was always up high, it'd be terrible. I mean, it's kind of like, this is probably not a very, you know, good or politically correct analogy, but I uh, compare it to um, if you, if you talk about society, the absolute best thing you can be according to society is a straight white male. That's has a lot of money yet. Who has the highest suicide rate? straight white males, a lot of money is because there's, they don't have that. There might, it's, there's not that delta. There's, there's not enough suffer. There's not enough suffering. So that's why hunting and fishing is so great. You, uh, you suffer. And if you suffer long enough and hard enough, you get a fantastic award, better reward, better than anything else in your normal day-to-day life. I got a little deep there, but. <laughs> no, I dig it, man. I'm mean, it, it, You're spot on. Cause if it didn't suck, I don't think we would still do it. Like yeah. I've gone on hunts that have been, I mean, what we just did and we just got back from Florida and we had blast, but it was like roller coaster fun. Like we roll <laughs> out there, we were hunting pigs. They were hunting pigs, Carter and another buddy. And then I was hunting a gator and we roll out. We're in these giant swamp buggy that looks like something off. It's a pontoon boat on tractor tires, basically just rolling through, pull up to a pond. There's a gator in there. And then I shoot it like 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes and then I kill a gator. And it was like, I mean, it was a small shot, tight window. You're only, you know, it's just got its head sticking up out of the water. And, you know, so I wasn't a gimme, I guess, but it also wasn't going to run away. <laughs> you know, and it has to come up for air at some point. So if I had missed, I probably would have had more opportunity. So it just, it was fun and I am glad I did it, but I don't know that I would go do that exact experience again unless i just had like we've talked about bringing some other buddies to go have a good time but like me personally i would never go there by myself like, yeah. it's like a social event you know like i will go sit on the side of a mountain and glass for muleys or go walk around blowing muzzleloader archery stalks on antelope and do all that because it's fun and like i did i just did again right. i got my ass kicked two years ago i was gone last year but 
chasing antelope with a muzzleloader and I was digging cactus out of my forearms from low crawling for a quarter mile for six months. And like, I'm just like thinking about it. I'm like, man, I cannot wait. I just, I want to kill one with a muzzleloader. I get just so much getting that close and then, you know, yeah. archery after that, but it just, that's, what's fun. You know, it, w- if, it wouldn't be fun if you just shot one at 500, 600, 800 yards every single time. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's why, I, and I don't want to just, I feel like I'm just like slowly pissing off every every uh, demographic out there, but I mean that's why I don't like the long range shooting because because it puts all the focus on on the kill, and I'm not denying that there's not a lot of skill involved in something like that, like there is, and that's great and that's an awesome hobby, but for me, I like the suffer of the uh, of the hunt, and honestly, I don't practice enough, so I'm a shitty shot sometimes. So I'm like, wow, well, if I get within 20 yards, even I can't fuck this up. <laughs> there's so many variables at distance, right? Like you just, you're just, I get absolutely, especially these high level guys. And I'm not, I'm not a sniper. Like it's not my skill set at all. So just like you said, I I'm impressed with the ability to like hit an animal at a thousand yards. That's no doubt that that's pretty badass. However, there is so much out of your control. The second that that bullet leaves the gun, like, God, it's just, there's just a lot. Like, you didn't, I mean, the wind, I mean, the, the, it's not like when you're shooting steel when you got somebody just making corrections, or if you, they you do, then you're making corrections on a living animal as it starts running. Right. And so, you know, if you do hit it in some way. And so it's just like, there's just so much more room for error. And that's why, you know, I can shoot pretty effectively five and in, but like, I really like my shots three and in. I know three and in, as long as my gun is good and I haven't bumped my scope, which happened to me in Wyoming two years ago. Uh, <laughs> but it, shot i didn't put my zero stops in i shot my elevation straight up and missed a mule deer and wounded an antelope but i don't need to rehash that but you know i know 300 and in like unless something crazy happens like that's going to be a dead animal and just having that confidence because that once i get to four or five it's like i'm confident you know but there's a little more hesitation i think that that's your distance and if, if that distance for you is 600 like more power to you but it is way more fun in my opinion, to do that low crawl, get as close as you can, and then shoot that animal. And if you bust yeah. them, you bust them. But, like, it's cool. Yeah, but, I mean, that's – I mean, it sounds like you're exactly the same. That's that's where all – that's where the majority of the fun is. Like, I would – I would at the end of the year, if, if I – as long as I still have the meat in the freezer that I need to, to feed my family, I would rather have six close encounters with an animal than one – 800 yard shot and I'm done. Cause I'm like, I'm like I didn't, I did my least favorite part of this. I, I just did the killing. I didn't, I didn't do the hunting. Speaking of meat in the freezer, Sam, I know we're rolling up on an hour here, but you know, the other pillar of hunt, lift, eat, we got the eating aspect here, man. Do you have a go-to like, what's your, what's your favorite recipe for, well, one, what's your favorite wild game meat? And then how do you like to prepare it? Oh, it, that's hard to narrow down. So, so I actually, I've eaten nothing but, with the exception of going out to eat, I've eaten nothing but wild game meat for um, going on a decade since since college. Um, so, I honestly don't really even like know what a non-game meat meal is. But uh, <laughs> said, uh, my uh, probably my favorite that I just started doing this last year, which is a game changer, is. Um, like Philly cheesesteaks with elk or, or any venison. Um, like it's incredibly simple. You, you just cut it, you know, super thin and you, uh, uh, you know, season it like you would a normal, a normal Philly, but 
for some reason, not many people do that and it tastes incredible. So that's kind of been my, uh, my go-to recently. Um, and then as far as my favorite game meat, um, this will probably be another unpopular opinion. Uh, antelope with a couple caveats is probably the best meat there is. The Dude, I fucking agree with you. I love, love <laughs> antelope. <you. laughs> I love it. it. Like, it's so good. Now, I think the reason why some people don't like it is, one, if you're shooting some just freaked out animal that's been sprinting and it's pumped full of adrenaline, it's got all that lactic acid going in there, it's going to taste like shit. Or if you don't know how to take care of the animal and you do what a lot of people do, you know, you're, you're shooting them, it's still hot out and you just toss in the back of your truck and you drive around all day and you let that meat spoil. If you, it's a delicate meat, but if you kill it clean and you cool it down, so good. Yeah. I aged mine. It was, a we had enough wind that, so I shot her and then hung her in the garage and she was, I mean, she was sprinting I mean, she'd been running all day because there was, you know, an army, and the, um, uh, the unit I was in, and she was still delicious. Hung yeah. her for three three days or so. I just packed the cavity full of ice and kept a fan on her, and it was great. Yeah, I love antelope. It's so good. You did it, did it right though. You got 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 to cool it down. Can't let it just sit out there. But uh, I, I honestly am kind of baffled as I, I don't know where that negative stigma came from. Um, I mean, I'm okay with it because it means there's more antelope for me to shoot. But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's such an such an underrated meat. The other one that's really good too, as long as you don't like give yourself trichinosis and die, is uh, bear meat. I think it's a very very underrated meat as well. Yeah, my cousin killed a bear on our property in back in Virginia this year, this past season, and I haven't. I don't think I've ever eaten bear, so I'm excited to to try a little bit of that one. He saved me some, so. That'll be yeah, good. This may this may be, I might I might be pulling this out of my ass, but I swear someone told me back at like the Davy Crockett eras and stuff too. Like like back in that generation, bear was like the most sought after meat. Mm -hmm. like you had bear, that's what everyone wanted to buy. That's what they wanted to eat, and everyone loved it back then. And then I guess we forgot that it was related to pork and it was pretty good meat, and started hit, hating on it. <laughs> it what is funny. What's what's your what's your favorite way to eat wild game? You go first, Carter, the rosemary man himself. The big rosemary guy over here. <laughs> um, I guess I need, first of all, I feel the need to defend myself before Luke calls me out, but I need another litmus test with antelope is what I'll say. I need, it's not a, it's not a down and out for me, but I need to, I need to try again. He did not. He was not a fan of, of the old just stink. My, goat. Just one of my favorite, right? Was, was it your, was it one you killed or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually if I'm if I'm if I'm being mean to someone, I say I'm like, well, which one is it? Do you, do you not know how to cook, or do you not take care of the kill? It was probably the <laughs> second one because I ran it up to a processor in Buffalo. It was my first Western Ooh. trip, and hadn't didn't have I didn't get the hide off fast enough. I gutted it, Teed but up. I think I think the hide stayed on too long, and so, so it tasted a little gamey and a little more barnyardy than i would have loved they're sagey for sure though you gotta like yeah. sage that's that's kind of yeah. the caveat don't like if you, sage. If you don't like rosemary the, family it could yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the origin of that story real quick i'll give you the cliff notes is oh our, my god my first uh wyoming hunt 
Carter, I got there before everybody because I drove up from Colorado Springs and they're flying in. He sends me a shopping list. And Steve Ranella over here was going to do this crazy, lavish camp feast with all this stuff. I spent like $150 on like rosemary, I mean, just a ton of rosemary. And I was like, we're the only camp in Wyoming right now that has fucking rosemary in it. So that's been the, the running joke for a lot of years. It's expensive in Wyoming. Not a lot of rosemary to go around out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> a lot of anything to go around out here. but. <laughs> No, it's the, another thing. Not to keep dragging this this on too long for you guys, but uh, uh, a huge thing that I did in my big game evolution was start processing my own meat. Like the the the, the quality when you do it yourself is just so much better, and and you can actually get off all that fat and tallow that that carries most of that that gamey meat. Um, and you just don't, I mean, no one cares about what you're eating as much as, as you care about, you know, it's like, it's like having someone manage your stocks for you. No one, no one cares about your money as much as you care about your money and same goes for your meat. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's a good perspective. I'd say like currently mule deer is my favorite, but I'm also like obsessed with mule deer right now. So I'm sure it's just the flavor of the week right now. And if I ever have the opportunity to kill an elk, that'll, that'll probably change. So, mm-hmm. I think mine right now it's it's kind of not cheating i mean it's kind of cheating because it's not game but i just i love pigs i just absolutely love wild pigs i killed a ton of them in georgia i got on to texas i'm getting ready to go this weekend kill some more and like okay, you yeah. just do, do so much with them um i think they're extremely underrated i'll eat the big nasty ones that everyone says you can't eat you 100 percent can just like you're it's all about how you take care of them just mm-hmm. like anything else and you know they're they're awesome i actually got a wild pig butt on the smoker right now so my wife's gonna have we're gonna have that this evening and like you can just do anything that you do with normal you know pork you can do it with a, a wild pig and more i think so like yeah they're awesome but i do love mule deer yeah. antelope really all of it I'm, I'm like you i eat either beef from my dad's farm or i'm eating wild game that's yeah. probably 80 90 percent of what, what we consume and i want to get it up to 100 minus you know going out because we have the freezer space for it. I just got to get better at turkey hunting. So my wife has some white meat because <laughs> she likes <Yeah>. chicken. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We get into that same issue too. My fiance is like, okay, it's a lot of red meat. We're, we're actually raising <laughs> a few pigs because of that too. She's like, need something not red. <laughs> nice. got to get some properties down in Texas so you can get, get that, that hog hunting. In. That's our, that's our next state. We've getting up, getting a pretty good hold on Oklahoma. So we'll do Texas next. Nice. Hell yeah. I'll be looking. I'm moving down to Louisiana actually for a little bit of time here in uh, a couple weeks. So I'll be waiting for you guys to hit Louisiana. Awesome. Hey, you just 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 show me where you're at, and we'll uh, we'll spend a week and we'll get some spots for you. Hell yeah! Perfect. <laughs> I'm in. That's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah, we're we're rolling past an hour now. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Carter, you got any closing thoughts? No, man. I just want to say thank you, Sam. It's been uh, fun watching what you guys have been doing over the last year and a half that I've been following infinite outdoors and you know thanks for taking the time to jump on here it's awesome to see another young guy in the space kind of doing the thing and uh yeah Dude, you just turn 30 we're, we're not young anymore yeah but we're also not 50 right <laughs> yeah we're in the 30s though that's yeah dude my knees hurt but what you do is <laughs> awesome man and you know I appreciate what you're doing for your you know average out-of-state hunter and kind of lowering that monetary barrier to entry that you know 
has can sweep across the the western state so i appreciate it yeah well thank you i'm glad you uh glad you like what you're doing sometimes we we forget that you sift through the the people that just like to troll facebook so it's good to good to hear some uh some alignment with what we're doing and glad we can make a difference for people yeah dude i bet you got some thick skin yeah <laughs> yeah i just take it i'm like yeah whatever like i'm just a scapegoat <laughs> I just block, delete, block, delete. I just, I yeah. used to respond. I don't, I can't even do that anymore. I just, yeah. But no, man, I'm, I appreciate you coming on. It was great to talk to you. Like I said, I've been tracking what you guys have been doing for so long. Cause I was like, man, I, I had that idea. You guys have executed <laughs> it 10 times better than I would have. So I'm, I'm really glad you did it. And I didn't, didn't fail at, at that one. So great work. And I, I love the approach you guys are taking with the biologists and, you know, I was actually, when I was looking on the app while we were sitting here, like you actually have properties that are closed because they need to rest for a year. Like, that's awesome because it's not just about chasing the dollars. And obviously we need profit and we need money. Got to feed our families, you know, grow, do all that. But still staying grounded and rooted is, is really important. So I think I think it's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad I kind of met you. Hopefully we can get on a hunt and maybe we'll get, a, get something together, go kill some pigs. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. I appreciate everything. Thank you guys for, uh, for having me on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Where can uh, where can listeners go find y'all's uh, stuff, Sam? Yeah, so uh, you can download the app on um, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Just type in Infant Outdoors. Um, we're on social media: Infant Outdoors on Facebook or Infant Outdoors underscore USA on uh, Instagram, and website is infantoutdoorsusa.com. Hell yeah! Awesome. All y'all go check them out. As always, we appreciate the how do you guys. Thanks.